Hello, and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Herbert Smith Freehills Asia Competition Law podcast series, Unbundling Competition. My name's Adelaide Luke, and I'm a partner in the Herbert Smith Freehills Competition and Antitrust team. I'm based in Hong Kong and head up our Asia competition practice. Joining me once again from the HSF Tokyo office is Joel Rubin, who's a senior associate and who also specialises in competition law. Hi, Joel. Hi, thank you very much, Adelaide. Uh, so this episode is another instalment in our series on competition law in digital markets. And today's episode relates to the role that data is increasingly playing in competition authorities' review of mergers and acquisitions. Uh, data is an increasingly critical factor in a lot of M&A and not just for the big digital platforms that get so much attention from competition authorities these days. Uh, also, companies in more traditional non-digital sectors like manufacturing are looking at how to monetize the data that they produce. And we're seeing a lot more M&A deals where the desire to access competitor or supplier data is a key driver for the deal. I should give a health warning before we start this podcast that uh, as an Australian, I'm likely to slip into pronouncing data uh, as data. Hmm. That could be catching. <laughs> data and data-driven deals throw up a lot of questions for competition authorities. For example, how to capture deals in digital markets where the target might be data-rich but revenue-poor and therefore doesn't meet the traditional turnover thresholds for mandatory filings. You know, or how to treat two-sided markets where consumers might be receiving services free of any monetary payment but paying for those services by disclosing their data. And another question is concerns about customer privacy and whether incentives to protect the privacy of data will diminish as a result of the transaction. But what we're going to focus on in today's podcast is how competition authorities look at the combination of data sets between merging parties and particularly how data can be seen as creating or reinforcing market power. Yes, and it's worth noting how difficult it can be for competition authorities uh, and for us as competition practitioners to apply traditional competition law analysis to data. Um, in more traditional markets, we're used to dealing with absolutes like market share and production capacity. But data is different because generally speaking, it is what we call non-rivalrous. In other words, the same data can be replicated many times over. I can give all of my personal data, my, my name, my age, the music that I like, et cetera, to Google, but that doesn't stop me from giving all of it again to Facebook, for example. Um, data is also dumb in the sense that it's only as useful as the algorithm that is used to process the data. So competitor A may hold a huge volume of data, uh, but all of that data may be useless to competitor B unless competitor B has the right algorithm to process it with. Uh, one competitor's data trash may be another competitor's data treasure. So it's it's not quite the same thing as bauxite, for example, which is essentially used in exactly the same way by all aluminium producers. So what this means is that when competition authorities look at the role that data plays in competition between merging parties, they need to look very carefully at all of the unique characteristics uh, of that data. What is it? How essential is it to competition? How easy is it to, to gather or to replicate? How can it be used? And so on and so forth. We've seen a few reports and academic studies on these concepts, and not only in the US and Europe, but also here in Asia. 
Um, for example, the Competition and Consumer Commission of Singapore's market study into e-commerce platforms touched on the extent to which data is a factor of competition between e-commerce platforms. And the Korean Fair Trade Commission updated its merger guidelines to specifically address innovation markets and big data. I, I think to your earlier point, Joel, about data being dumb, the KFTC has specifically defined a data asset as a set of data collected for various purposes and systematically managed, analysed or otherwise utilised. Another jurisdiction in this part of the world to flag is Indonesia. In 2019, the KPPU enacted a regulation to ensure that asset acquisitions would be caught by the merger control regime. Prior to that, only share acquisitions were notifiable. The 2019 regulation was still a bit unclear, in particular as to the types of assets that could trigger a filing. And in October last year, fresh guidelines interpreting the 2019 regulation were released. And that made it explicit that intangible assets such as consumer data, digital data and big data would all be captured by that threshold test. But still, notwithstanding these developments in the regulations and literature, it's worth noting that in the relatively few merger cases where competition authorities have really tackled data issues in practice, they've mostly focused on digital advertising markets, where the conclusion has generally been that so much data is generated among so many market players that mergers don't really raise concerns. What we haven't really seen is an in-depth review of, for example, calibration data from machine components or health data from medical devices, with, of course, the possible exception of Google's acquisition of Fitbit, and that was examined in detail in a number of jurisdictions. What about the situation in, in Japan, Joel? Uh, here in Japan, I think it's fair to say that digital markets are an area of focus for the, the Japan Fair Trade Commission or, or the JFTC. Uh, so the JFTC updated its merger control guidelines in 2019 to provide more detail on how it will treat data in deals that involve digital markets. Um, I'm conscious those guidelines will actually be discussed in more detail in an upcoming podcast. So I won't, I won't say too much about them today, um, but suffice it to say that the, the JFTC is paying attention to these issues as, as other competition authorities are. Um, and indeed, there, there have been a few transactions already Considering data on, under the updated guidelines, um, probably the most significant of which recently has been, as you say, the, the Google Fitbit acquisition. It's also worth noting uh, about Japan that at the same time that the JFTC updated its, its substantive guidelines, um, it also updated, updated its procedural guidelines uh, to provide that for certain data-driven deals in particular, uh, the JFTC will intervene uh, or will expect parties to make voluntary filings uh, for deals uh, using the JFTC's general review powers, uh, even where the, the thresholds for mandatory notification are not met. So Google Fitbit was one of the first deals that didn't actually meet the thresholds for mandatory notification, uh, but which was nevertheless reviewed un under those revised procedural guidelines. So Joel, what can we learn from those guidelines or indeed from cases like Google and Fitbit? What are the key takeaways? Well, I think, first of all, it's important to distinguish between markets in which data is traded. In other words, where data itself is the product, just like any other product, uh, and those in which it isn't. So a good example of where data is a product in and of itself would be in, as you say, advertising markets, 
where a company like Facebook may sell data sets and analytic support to advertisers uh, in order to help them more easily target uh, advertising to particular users on Facebook. Um, where data is a product, it's a bit easier for competition authorities to carry out a more traditional horizontal or vertical merger analysis. That is to, to look at whether a concentration of market share is likely to lead to an increase in prices or a downgrade in quality, uh, or whether a supplier acquiring customer could lead to a foreclosure of, of other suppliers or, or other customers. Um, however, the JFTC's merger guidelines say that the data still needs to be considered in light of the characteristics that I mentioned a moment ago. So a foreclosure strategy denying access to data to other customers might be completely ineffective if the data is very easy to replicate, for example. Um, what was interesting in the Google Fitbit case is that there were no horizontal overlaps between the parties in the traditional sense. But when it came to data-related markets, for example, the, the provision of health-related data for digital advertising purposes, um, both the JFTC and, and the European Commission alike looked at the potential impact of concentrating the two parties' data. And even though Fitbit did not sell its data for digital advertising purposes, and so its market share was effectively zero at the time of the transaction, both authorities still considered that having access to Fitbit's data would increase Google's market power. Uh, and so after quite a long review process, uh, the authorities ultimately required uh, commitments in order to keep that data separate uh, from, from Google's more general data sets. Mm. So bringing the discussion back to companies in non-digital markets, I suppose a similar logic would apply in cases where data isn't traded. That is where data is collected and used to improve product quality, for example, but very deliberately not shared with third parties. Here, there wouldn't be any impact on the ability of third parties to access data because it was never shared in the first place. But the concern, at least in theory, would be that combining large sets of data would put the acquirer in an unassailable position so that data acts as a barrier to the market entry or growth. This is particularly so when something like so-called network effects apply. As you mentioned, Joel, data is non-rivalrous, so theoretically any competitor could gather the same data. But it might be very difficult to do so where the more data the leading competitor has, the better their product quality, which leads more customers wanting to use that product instead of someone else's, which allows the leading competitor to gather even more data. So although we haven't seen a lot of cases where this sort of theory of harm was considered in detail, it is something that we might see more of in the future. Yes, although competition authorities aren't always well placed to predict how data will be used in the future. So the, the UK Competition and Markets Authority, for example, uh, which reviewed and cleared Facebook's acquisition of Instagram uh, back in 2012, uh, it's since expressed regret that it didn't quite foresee how much or how quickly the business models of the two social networks would converge. Um, but concerns about barriers to entry, I suppose, might lead to more remedies being required uh, in order to secure regulator approval. So, for example, uh, either agreeing not to combine data, as in Google Facebook, uh, or to provide access to data to third parties when required. Yes, it's interesting that in a few cases we have seen where remedies around data were accepted by the regulators, not only Google Fitbit, but also, for example, Microsoft's acquisition of LinkedIn back in 2016. 
regulators were willing to accept so-called behavioural remedies, that is, remedies to do or refrain from doing something in order to maintain the status quo. At least in the EU, there's ordinarily a very strong preference for more structural remedies, that is, divestments of overlapping businesses or assets, which are seen as more certain in outcome and that don't require ongoing monitoring. Yeah, and there's there's certainly a similar trend in Japan, although behavioural remedies are perhaps less rare in Japan than they are in the EU. Uh, but of course, even crafting behavioural remedies can have its own challenges. Uh, so for one thing, where data involves personal information, for example, uh, it may rub up against data privacy rules, uh, which prevent the disclosure of personal information without consent, and, and that might be very difficult to obtain. Um, another is that, as I said a moment ago, data by itself is is dumb, and so a competitor may not just need access to the data itself, but it may need partial access to algorithms in order to make use of the data. And and for obvious reasons, companies are usually much more reluctant to provide access to to, its, to their algorithms. It's clearly a complex and quite interesting subject, but unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. Thank you, Joel, uh, and thank you to everyone who's listened. If you enjoyed our podcast today, you can find more episodes of Unbundling Competition on the podcast website at the Herbert Smith Freehills homepage. Or, of course, you can subscribe on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts.